0: What's up everybody? Raj Nation here. Before we launch into this week's episode, let me give you the newest dates on the Hype Man Roadshow speaking tour. As of the release of this episode, I just wrapped up TravCon in Las Vegas. Up next, coming up on September 13th, is the Forward Collective Summit. I'll be performing live my brand new song, Wake Up, Raise Up, at the conference, as well as speaking on how we can use storytelling within our own heads to overcome biases After Forward Collective, on September 20th, I'll be speaking at the Enterprise Sales Forum alongside sales leader Jeff Badrick. It'll be a live recording of the Discovery Your Inner Awesome podcast. That's happening in Chicago, Illinois as well. Then it's off to Patriot Boot Camp in Denver, Colorado on September 29th. I'll be delivering my How to Not Suck at Pitching Your Startup workshop there for the veteran entrepreneurs in attendance, followed by on October 15th. The 2112 Incubator here in Chicago, Illinois. I'll also be doing my How to Not Suck at Pitching Your Startup workshop there. And then on October 17th at Ann Arbor Spark, the incubator up there in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I'll be giving the same workshop, How to Not Suck at Pitching Your Startup. Lots coming up here over the next couple months. I'd love to see you out at one or multiple of these events. For full information and links to where you can get tickets to all of these different events, you can go to StartupHypeMan.com slash speaking. Again, that's StartupHypeMan.com slash speaking. And now, on with the show.
1: That's an interesting insight about it doesn't fall in the way. It's gotten to the point in our conversation where we're just fixing each other's hair.
0: (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Raji Nathan, a.k.a. the... Raj Nation. I am your show's host and the founder and creative force behind Startup Hype Man, helping startups everywhere build their hype by creating a message that sings. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's about the mindset, processes, and strategies to help you build a badass company. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I would like to extend an invitation to join our tribe at StartupHypeMan.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of the show, getting an email in your inbox every single week when we drop new episodes on Mondays. You'll also get my weekly thoughts, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your hype and create a raving fan base. All right, let's dive in now to this week's conversation of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Today on the show, we welcome back for a third time, that's right, three times, three times, Matt Wilson, the co-founder of Under 30 Experiences. Amigo, welcome back to the show. Thank you, it's been a little while. I was afraid we sucked too bad last time you came on my (laughs) podcast and
1: you didn't want to talk to me anymore.
0: (laughs) Uh, that's a story for another day, but so for everyone who's listening, Matt had the honor of being the first ever guest on this show back in, I think it was 2015 when we launched it. And at that time that was with my previous business with first co-founder, first co-host, Matt was then a guest with my second co-host and I'm now doing the show solo. So this is our first time you've been on my show in a one-on-one format. So this could get a little bit more interesting than it has been in the past. Excellent, excellent.
1: I'm outliving your co-host. This is great
0: <laughs> and and if you if everyone listening, if you have not listened to the, Matt's previous episodes, uh, they're really good ones., uh, it's funny because like the first episode ever, I don't think we really knew what we were doing with the podcast, so it was just kind of like so much like spitballing and free talking. but it's still one of my favorite episodes, and that was recorded, you know, in a hotel bedroom in Belize now um. What I want to do with this episode, because in your previous appearances, we haven't really done this, is talk through like how did you get here, but, but really to set the table, our, our, our topic for today is how do you turn customers into community members? Sort of at a high abstract level, can you just give our listeners a window into why this is something that's important to you?
1: Okay, it's interesting that you say how to turn customers into community members, because we actually lead with community and so we try to turn community our community into customers so we say that we have an inclusive community of travelers ages 21 to 35 and we try to uh, create an inclusive community so you it's not exclusive meaning first of all okay first of all with that expression started because under 30 experiences sounds very exclusive and we're like no if you if you want to come on one of our trips or you want to come to one of our meetups and you're cool just come don't worry about it leave leave all that at the door so that's why we started saying that but really uh, we wanted to to create a place where people could come get to know each other within the community and then if they want to make a commitment of anywhere between 645 dollars to I don't know, $3,500 to come on a trip with us somewhere. We've already broken down the barriers because they've come out to a happy hour or to a hike or to a kickball game or to, uh, gone kayaking in their local city so we really lead with community first and make that the most important thing is that everybody feels welcome everybody feels cool so if you make a major investment to travel somewhere abroad with us then you probably know what you're getting yourself into and then yeah you can be a, a customer which we don't actually call them customers we just call them travelers.
0: And I like that a lot, and and sort of I think we're already getting a window into how you think about this stuff. so let's sort of like dial it all the way back, take it back to the o g days, and maybe we can see how this mindset came about in the first place. So you grow up on the East Coast, like New Jersey area, am I right? uh New York New York thank you Oh cr- oh crap, That's a huge mistake to say a New Yorker grew up in New Jersey <laughs> all right, but but it but it wasn't like New York City, right? No, it was upstate, about okay. an hour. Yeah, upstate. That's a whole different... Uh, people from New York City say It's a lot um, different than Jersey. Was... Yeah. <laughs> um, you attend John Jay High School, which I'm just going to assume is named after one of the authors of the Federalist Papers. A little U.S. history reference for everyone there. <laughs> that,
1: that is correct. First, uh, first Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America.
0: I like how you said that as if you're like on the witness stand. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> um. So growing up, you know, you're know, you going to a high school there. What's your, what's your environment like? Um, is it something where you're interacting with people from all different walks of life, or is it something where you're seeing the same type of person every day?
1: Honestly, I thought it was pretty gangster, but when I asked my friends this the other day when I went home, uh, they were like, no, we live in the sticks and not in the hood. And so I thought it was a lot more... Tough environment, maybe because I was just a, uh, you know, angry 15 year old and saw kids getting arrested. It was probably for stupid stuff selling weed across the street at Dunkin' Donuts or, or whatever. But I thought it was a pretty diverse place. But honestly, when it came down to it, it was uh, this is John J. East Fishkill. If we have any New Yorkers out there, and it's a high school surrounded by IBM. So literally, IBM has this massive campus upstate and our uh, high school, which was a very big high school, I think, what I graduated with 500 kids. We probably started with 700 kids. Just that rate there alone says it was probably a fairly diverse place.
0: Uh, Wait, so you started with 700 but graduated with 500. Did you lose 200 in the process? I think we did. I think we did. It just didn't see, it was a big public high school. And so I thought I was exposed
1: to a lot of different people, but probably at the end of the day, it was probably pretty white and pretty middle class. Um, You know, this is not Westchester. This is more like, Poughkeepsie, but not city of Poughkeepsie, uh, if that makes any sense to anybody who knows anything about the tri-state area.
0: <laughs> Is there a particular, I guess, like lesson you learned growing up that sticks with you today?
1: Uh, how to mow lawns, how to do landscaping. That was that was my uh, grind while I was in high school. I actually probably started in about
0: sixth grade. That's pretty cool. So that's like your I guess that's like entrepreneurship step one for you, right?
1: For sure. I mean, that might have been that was actually after selling golf balls on eBay that I picked out of a local uh, a local golf course. That makes me sound pretty white, I guess. <laughs> 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 uh, kid with internet access in 1995 and a golf course somewhere near his house. Uh, <laughs> Other than that, the, the lemonade stand, I definitely had lemonade stands. Now we're going back to like kindergarten. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was probably the big, uh, the big one was, was landscaping.
0: Okay, so you go to college at Bryant University. If I recall from your previous times on the show, there was like this triumvirate of either Bryant, Babson or Bentley, wasn't it right? The three B's? Yeah,
1: the, the three B's of business in the Northeast. That also sounds pretty white. <laughs> Um, that was that was a lot different from my high school. This was much more upper, upper middle class kids and everybody seemed the same. And I, I really enjoyed it at the time. But then once I became a traveler, I was like, well, that was the stuffiest place on the face of the planet.
0: <laughs> well, while you're at Bryant, you have an experience as a CEO and what I mean by that is the collegiate entrepreneurs organization I'm going to guess you're president of it you probably founded it for the or the the chapter for the school as well maybe Um, yes that is also correct (laughs) as um, president of collegiate entrepreneurs organization like what were you doing and, and what like what how did you step into entrepreneurship while while doing this all right, so I come from New York to
1: Puritan New England, and I am—I think I'm a hustler—and I show up, and uh, I want to start a business there on campus, and I realize that—I uh, I realize that everybody there is on the fast track to corporate America, and. Jack Welch comes and speaks at Bryant. Uh, world. Like the image, Jack Welch. The Jack Welch, Welch world-famous uh, CEO of General Electric, or former CEO of General Electric probably at that point. And he touches on entrepreneurship like four or five times during his talk. And I get up there as an 18-year-old freshman, and I'm like, tap the mic. I'm like, "Eh, uh, hi, uh, Mr. Welch. I just had a quick question here uh, representing the freshman class of uh, 2004. (laughs) And I asked him, what do you think about Bryant having an entrepreneurship major? Because I already was not feeling like I was going to fit in at this place. And the president of the university was sitting next to him having a fireside chat. This guy was a former congressman, and he rolled his eyes. And he was like, Basically, he was like, well, you should have gone to Babson because this is a corporate finance and accounting school. Uh, he didn't say that, but that was the That's what the indicated. eye roll indicated? Absolutely, absolutely. And so um, pretty much w- without any help from the faculty or staff we decided myself and like five other people in the room decided well let's start a chapter of the collegiate entrepreneurs organization and see where it goes and we ended up uh, bringing national accolades to the school uh, through the CEO chapter, winning best chapter in the country, two years in a row. We ended up in like, the Boston Globe. And then the same guy who was rolling his eyes, President Makeley, was uh, messaging me from his BlackBerry uh, to tell us congratulations.
0: <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Um, you kind of, I guess with that, I, I don't think you really ever stepped into quote unquote corporate America because after Bryant... You then have a stint with Zarly, and I don't think Zarly exists anymore, but at the time Zarly was one of the new Silicon Valley startups, which was essentially like a Task Rabbit, which I do think still exists. So you can like hire like a runner to get your groceries, you know, get something from Home Depot. I told you before we started recording that I actually was in USA today randomly because I ordered off of Zarly and the reporter showed up with the runner who wanted to ask why I was using Zarly but but what what, what did you do with Zarly So
1: with uh, so with Zarly this is this is unfortunate the cable guys here in Costa Rica have just shown up oh, no. um but uh, yeah, so basically, with Zarly, uh, I was asked to help launch the brand in the United in the United States. Um, yeah, sorry, in New York. I got a, a bit distracted there for a second. <laughs> but I was asked to uh, launch the brand in New York. It was a startup weekend company uh, started by Ashton Kutcher and founded by... Uh, Eric Coster new- was the, was uh, the one. Yeah, right? that, yeah, that was one of the co-founders um, put in to a, a lot of money put into some really, really big vendors, uh, really, really big vendors, really big venture capitalists, and uh, it, was a, it was a cool opportunity, but after raising $12 million and having Meg Whitman be the founder uh, or the chairman of the board, well, it didn't work at the end of the day.
0: Mm. Well, and, and I, I guess I kind of like uh, chopped up the timeline a little bit because Zarly actually was step two for you-ish. Um, while you're actually still at Bryant, you co-found Under 30 CEO with Jared O'Toole, who's your also your co-founder for Under 30 Experiences, right? Uh, yes. So Under 30 CEO
1: actually came first. We started that in 2008, 2009. And... Um, that was our our big way to grow our credibility and make sure that people uh, people found out who we were. We were learning how to use the, t- the tools up there. Uh, Twitter, right? That was the birth of Twitter. We were learning how to get people to our blog for the first time ever. We were learning how to build a personal brand for the first time ever, so uh, yeah, that was, that was what we were starting to do with Under 30 CEO and we grew a really nice audience of people.
0: Well, and an under30ceo.com, it really was like a media site, right? Where people could come and learn essentially different tactical advice, uh, mindset advice around being an entrepreneur ultimately being a CEO um, for the specifically under 30 crowd. You're doing this while you're still in college, essentially learning entrepreneurship. Did you have any like, who the hell are we to be talking about this stuff, moments? I mean, of course,
1: but we were also 22-year-olds and didn't want to get a real job. (laughs) Uh, And it was more about community. So this, I think, is why you went back as far as you did is because we said there have to be so many other people out there right now that we just had one of the worst economic crises known to man people are losing their jobs, people are not getting jobs, there have to be a lot of other people out there trying to figure out how to start businesses. So that was that was the key. And so it was more about building community. To launch that blog, we said, all right, well, uh, there are not a lot of personal development uh, bloggers out there at the moment. And you know, there are not a lot of entrepreneurship bloggers out there at the moment, especially targeted at young people. And so we reached out to probably the top ten or fifteen young professional bloggers. That's all there really were at that time who had any type of notable fo- following. And we said, Hey, do you guys want to be part of a community? Would you like to write for our site? And we kind of started the first super blog, if you will, and that was able to uh get us some nice traction because we used We was their their writing their articles, and so it wasn't always us building uh, or or giving advice per se. We were bringing good people together who were building businesses for uh, an environment a community in which people could learn.
0: Well, and the popularity got pretty big, right? Like you were at a point I I want to say where you were getting hundreds of thousands of page views. I mean. Definitely every month, but perhaps even more more frequently than that, right? Sure,
1: sure. Unique visitors, as they used to be called, or (laughs) or users. Uh, We had at our peak, and we're talking now about 2011 was our peak before we started with under 30 experiences. But we had a half a million users per month. And we're talking about that's 2 million page views per month.
0: Yeah, that's That's really impressive. And... You know, what strikes me about this as you talk about how do you how do you treat even this as a community is you didn't try to do everything yourself. You looked to other people who were smart, perhaps smarter than you in certain areas, who had expertise in certain areas, and you invited them to be part of what you were building. Now, that to me, that's something that I'm I'm personally working on right now as I work to grow my business. But on top of that. I think it's something that if you look at the larger startup ecosystem, I think everyone is so, not everyone, a lot of people are in this mindset of trying to like protect every element that they're doing and, oh, we can't share this with people, we can't share that. So can you just kind of talk through like how you were going about this um, and and sort of just in a way that you were, you had it as open format to get people to come to your platform?
1: Yeah, I mean, People could reach out to us if they were reading, if they were all of a sudden on Twitter, sat searching hashtag entrepreneur. Like that used to actually be a very viable strategy when these tools were young. Um, you know, before everybody in the world were on there, and there there weren't tons of people where there weren't tons of people out there online that knew these tools existed, and uh, so we were just a lot of. Individual reach outs, we would reach out to people who had blogs. Um, we would get to know them. And then we started once our, our site had nice readership, right? After pe- we had consistent writers who would maybe write once a week or once a month for the site, well, then we would uh, get people together in local cities. I mean, we started the day we started the site, we actually had a launch party place called bar of chicago at the collegiate entrepreneurs organizations conference uh in it must have been 2008 but this uh, wasn't
0: in chicago right
1: this was in chicago oh, it was okay got a little bit crazy uh, and but it was about building a community because that's what we came from at the university level so we said well why doesn't something like this exist out there for smart young innovative passionate people
0: well, and and as you're doing this, like you mentioned, this is on the heels of the financial collapse. Like, how are you making money through this process? Are you moving in with mom and dad? Like, what's going on? So, short answer: we were not. Because uh, <laughs> you also, answer, but you also we, didn't raise you didn't
1: raise capital for this either. No, this was started with you know fifty dollars and a Twitter account. Um, I mean, our first website was outsourced to India for five hundred dollars on. I can't, uh, Elance probably. So that's, that's all it took at this, at this point. Now you could get that outsourced. Somebody could come up with your, build you a WordPress blog for even cheaper than that. I'm sure. Or you could build it yourself easily, but that's, that's the exciting, uh, that's the exciting thing about this is we didn't, we didn't know how we were going to make money, but we were again 22 years old. And so we had our side hustles and we, okay, so we grew our own personal brands and our site and opportunities started to come our way. People saw, hey, how did you build community around your blog? How did you get eyeballs to your site? How did you figure out search engine optimization? How do we use these social media tools? And That stuff was all really pretty cool in 2008. uh, We were definitely ahead of the curve. Now everybody and their mother is a social media consultant and it's very saturated. But uh, yeah, that's how we first started making money is we would bring on clients and do consulting. And then when the site got to the point where it could support ad traffic and we had a nice email list and we could sell things to, uh, that were helpful to business owners, then of course we, we started to dive into affiliate marketing and create other streams of revenue.
0: Yeah, and that's really where it became like the true media platform because you have the ad revenue and, and essentially sponsors of your, of your content. Exactly. Yeah, so this then leads into the sort of I'd call it the game changer for our generation now, at least in the travel space, under thirty experiences. I know you've talked about it before on the show, but not everyone has listened to your past episodes, although I recommend they do go back and listen to your past episodes here. Um can you give the a quick backstory on how Under Thirty Experiences comes about? Your 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 the chain to the desk story. <laughs> sure. Um <clears throat> okay,
1: so we actually skipped a quick landscaping story in there. Oh, yeah, I wanna please. Pepper, I want to pepper that in because uh, this was kind of the, the come to Jesus moment and uh, I'm not a religious person, but uh, it was still a come to Jesus moment because uh, it was 2008 and it was a uh, obviously a very difficult time. People were not getting jobs and we were desperately trying to figure out how to make money.
0: Back with more Discover Your Inner Awesome in just a moment, but first, are you an early stage startup? If so, you're probably running on the messaging treadmill where you're trying to figure out how to pitch your company, how to tell the story, how to communicate, market, and sell this thing that you've built. But for every step you take forward, you get pulled back one just like you're on a treadmill because you're either too in the weeds, too technical, or your attention is pulled in too many different directions. Oh, and on top of that, You're facing the everyday mental crisis of being an entrepreneur where you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I should have listened to my family and just gotten that safe and secure six figure job. Guess what? It's time to get off the treadmill. Introducing Hype Man Academy, my brand new, affordable, equity free virtual accelerator designed to build a marketing playbook for your startup. So you can confidently pitch investors with a clear and compelling message and go out and market and sell to get your first 10 or 20 or 30 customers. Hype Man Academy is a weekly live online workshop where you work alongside your fellow founders, support and help one another and get one on one access with me through virtual office hours. For information on joining the next cohort, visit startuphypeman.com slash hypeman academy. That's startuphypeman.com slash hypeman academy. Fill out an application and let's discuss. Back now to our regularly scheduled programming.
1: We, My mom was in real estate and her business totally crumbled at that time. And so we had to move from the house where we were living, the house where I grew up in, grew up in into a uh, small apartment together and she kind of came to me to let me know that what she was happening and she's like so how about this uh website you're you're building how's how's that going no she didn't say it like that it's like whatsoever. that family
0: guy stewie griffin working on the novel thing how are, you, uh, it, how are you coming on that novel there
1: <laughs> yeah basically or that's what it felt like although she was a lot more uh a lot more kind about it and I realized that shit, I need to get a real job and help pay some of these bills. I can't just float off of mom uh, at this stage in the game. And so, went on Craigslist, found the first job that I could find and it was for $15 an hour. It was a driver and I thought, all right, I'll be wheeling and dealing. I had my first generation iPhone and uh, you know, I'll be able to work from on the road. I'll drive around and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Turns out it was for a landscaping crew and the driving job was for a dump truck with an 18-foot trailer and a crew of Mexican migrant workers. And the first day in the job when I sat on the truck, the foreman was like, you know, the only way to earn these guys respect is if you get out there and start working with them. And so these guys worked me over back-breaking, like, you know, 22-year-old little gringo out there. I definitely earned my stripes, and then came home every night and moonlit the business and uh, hustled to get this off the ground. So I say that because I have You do that for enough months in a cold winter in Poughkeepsie, New York. And you're like, how the hell are we going to make money? We need to figure something out fast. You know, our original ideas were like, oh, let's help people start websites and buy their domain names and. Uh, you know, earn three dollars a pop on GoDaddy, and that just uh, through affiliate marketing, and that just wasn't going to pay the bills. Yeah.
0: Let me actually, so, can I just cut you off for a sure, second because sure, right? sure, I want to, sure. I want to emphasize something that you just you spoke about there. So this is something that I always have to check myself on, and I hope other founders do as well. Is you know, we're we're building our different businesses, our companies, empires, whatever, and there are days that are hard right there are days that are good but there are a lot of days that are hard however what we are doing like me building a business right now is not the same as hard work what you did physical manual labor is backbreaking labor is hard work like being on like a rice paddy and picking rice like that's hard work and i think that's something that probably gives you like you know literally and metaphorically a good a nice backbone but it's something that it creates discipline. And on top of that, it's a good sort of like gut check that as like bad as things get with the, you know, essentially all the technology companies that we're all out there building now, it is not, it might be a hard day, but it is not the same as hard work. I agree. I agree. And I, because I have a,
1: I guess I could say a background in physical manual labor. I know I can always go back to that. Right. (laughs) Or if, I don't know. One of the things I love living here in in Costa Rica, where I'm talking to you from today, I know that if I needed to buy a piece of property, uh, if I needed to buy a farm one day with the world came to an end and just grow my own food and uh, be there forever in the jungle, I could probably get away with that. And so having those base skills, I remember those hard days. And I don't know, mentally, to be honest, I think that this is another topic, but I think that possibly the mental game uh, or or working yourself mentally is a lot more difficult than working yourself physically. And that means no disrespect to anybody who works hard out there physically. Uh, I really have a lot of respect for people who work hard uh, and are laborers. But a lot of times the mental stuff can be more difficult, in my opinion. I'm just throwing that out there.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's sort of like how do you want to interpret what is hard, what is difficult, right? But at the end of the day, I think if some if you gave someone who is doing physical hard manual labor and said you could do this or you could sit at a computer and do work, uh, <laughs> they'd, oh, what do you what, yeah. do you what do you think is easier? I think they'd say, oh, because sitting at the computer sounds a little bit easier. Of course. Now, to get back to sort of where you were headed with the story, so you're kicking around ideas. You're like, okay, maybe we can help people start up websites or whatever. Uh, You're kicking around these ideas. Go ahead. We need high price items. We're trying to sell people like GoDaddy
1: and uh, yeah, we're trying to sell people like GoDaddy domain names where they buy their domain name for $9 and we get 90 cents and there just wasn't enough volume in that. And yeah, we tried to do a lot of other things, selling people. Uh, Yeah, we tried to sell a lot of different tools for entrepreneurs, but we didn't have the product that was really going to pay the bills. And we eventually built the volume, right? Once we got to a half a million users and we had some big clients, corporate clients, that we were pushing on our, our site and sponsored, sponsored articles and all that, that was great, right? We were able to build under 30 CEO into a six-figure business, but it was a lot of hard work. Okay, there's that word again. A lot of hard, <laughs> It was a lot of hard work, right? But the, the, the prices of the things that we were selling were not high enough. So that's when you see these media companies getting into conferences and retreats and high-ticket coaching yeah. and seminars, yeah, of course, they're trying to sell you things that, that cost a lot of money. And honestly, that when the retreat idea came about, we're fast-forwarding a little bit, it was, it was a lot more viable to us because we knew that we could make a little bit more than 90 cents uh, at a time, <laughs> right? And, and you can also lose a lot more, don't get me wrong, and we did at the beginning of Under 30 Experiences.
0: Yeah, and, and sort of... It starts to grow. I don't even. I don't necessarily want to say like super quickly, but it grows very. I think you'll appreciate this word, mindfully. Um, you know, today, under thirty experiences does how many trips a year? Oof, two hundred and fifty
1: trips, three hundred trips, maybe.
0: So that's almost every day of the year. You you have a trip going. S- starting right there's fifty weeks in the year. So right now we have.
1: Probably we have five trips running. We have uh, one to Costa Rica. We have two going to Peru right now. We have one going to Iceland right now. We have one going through France and Spain right now. We have one in Italy right now. (laughs) That's at least five. We have France starting on Sunday. That's six. So yeah, we got we got trips running. It's it's not always like this. It started with one trip.
0: Right, and that's right. uh, right. See, that's where we're at today. Is two hundred ish trips. But back in was it like two thousand twelve? it was, can I just get like a handful of people to go on this trip to Iceland, right? Yes, and that almost did not happen. So talk us through how, so you, you decide like retreats might be a good idea. So then how are you like, okay, let's figure out this travel thing?
1: Okay, so the, the real story is that I was working. Okay, remember when I said that we started to do consulting? Mm-hmm. That's when Zarli approached me. That's when I was open to having opportunities where I would join a team and help them roll out a brand. They had all this venture capital. Uh, They had a really interesting product, a lot of credibility. It was a startup weekend company. It looked good. So I'm working. So I'm working there. Plus, we have under thirty CEO going, and we're we're really building the audience on that. So things are starting to. It's like the peak of my. New York, my life in New York, I would say, and I got a random email from a blog contributor that asked if I would like to come to Iceland to be their ambassador of climate change and blog about the experience to see how climate change was affecting young entrepreneurs' businesses. And I knew nothing about climate change, nor honestly did I care about climate change or was it anything within my wheelhouse. But then I saw all of the things that they were offering, in fact, a trip to Iceland and going to the glaciers and the volcanoes and the waterfalls. And uh, I mean, I skied on peaks that had never been skied before, and it was just an insane trip and it was free. And so I, (laughs) I was... I just had that life-changing moment, literally standing on a glacier, and uh, I was with this Icelandic mountain guide. His name is Siggy. We still work with Siggy today. Uh, our our uh, travelers in Iceland are in his hands, actually, as we speak, and uh, he just wanted to light up a cigar and uh, drink a scotch on top of this amazing glacier Looking out at the volcano that erupted in 2010, at the that stopped all the air traffic between North America and Europe. And I was like, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? Why am I grinding it out be- behind a computer? Um, and why is the rest of our generation stuck behind their computers? I want to do this more for myself, but I would also like to pay forward this life changing travel experience to other people. And that's when under 30 experience started and so we started kicking around ideas hey how can Musigi and I how can we bring some more people to Iceland because he was a young guy 25 years old at the time trying to grow his business in Iceland and uh, that's when I went back talked to Jared my co-founder of Under 30 CEO and I said why don't we try to do a retreat to Iceland we partnered with the Startup Iceland conference and we invi- we got invited by the president of Iceland to bring our group of young entrepreneurs to his home and meet with him to talk about entrepreneurship and startups. And so uh, it wasn't like, I say it like, oh, it was a big ticket item. And yeah, sure, of course, that was the realization. But it was also that we need to go, and we need to we need to do this because life is short, and this is a, a pretty cool opportunity, regardless.
0: Yeah, and you know, as this thing grows over the next couple of years, you know, my first encounter with it, I would say, I think it was twenty thirteen is when I I stumbled onto Under Thirty CEO, started reading mm-hmm. the articles, and I didn't know you yet at this point. And then you are actually leveraging the traffic to Under Thirty CEO and. And like redirecting it almost to under 30 experiences because the way I found out about, and for just shorthand now we'll call it U30X, is on U30CEO, there was a little thing on the side of the page that said, hey, do you want to travel? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) So I click on it and then it takes me to the U30X page and it shows me at that time there were three offerings. There was Costa Rica, Iceland, Nicaragua, actually there was four, Nicaragua and Alaska. And I remember like I, I, look, I read the thing and, and actually originally, if I recall, it was positioned more towards entrepreneurial types, right? That, that's right,
1: because our main source of lead generation was from under 30 CEO. Under 30 CEO, had, we had all our clients and then we slowly started bu- buying our own ad space and dedicating our own resources to try to grow this side business.
0: And then, so I end up taking a trip to Costa Rica, I think that was 20, January 2014, that's where I meet you, because you're actually the trip leader for all the trips at that point. So you're the, you're the co-founder, CEO of this company. You still have under 30 CEO running in the background and you're traveling around the world, uh, well, I guess around Central America and, and, and Iceland at that point. How are you doing all this at once? <laughs> So uh, how was I doing this all at once? Not,
1: okay, I don't want to say not very well, but as best as I could pull off. So I was obviously stretched thin, and this definitely put a a strain on my uh, relationship with my co-founder, Jared, at the time, because it eventually came to Uh, All right. Look, I got back from Iceland. We had our first trip, but I'm packing up my expensive ass apartment in New York and I'm putting all my things in a backpack and I'm going to go and travel. And so I went down to Costa Rica and went up to Nicaragua. I I ended up going to Indonesia for two months. So, you know, with the stop in Dubai and uh, just started really, really traveling hardcore and living the life of a digital Nomad, uh, also before it was played out. <laughs> but um, that, was, that was that was like, those were the early days. And so then Jared started to take over under 30 CEO. I started taking over under 30 experiences. It just suited both of our personalities uh, and what we wanted at that point in our life and uh, so he started running one, I started running the other, and we were moving very, very quickly, uh, and I was scouting out new places to bring people for under 30 experiences, and also I have, you know, I have the, the background in the, the uh, outdoors from upstate New York, and, uh, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts all my life, and grew up camping, and skiing, and hiking, and all that kind of stuff, and so I had the trip leader skills. I had my Three and a half years of high school Spanish uh, <laughs> that I that I hacked together quickly, and so that that became the start of it. And so, trip leading trips, and then when I wasn't leading trips, <laughs> working as hard as I could on blog content, on marketing, on so you know on social media, spreading the word about under thirty experiences, um, pitching the press. Those were all things that I I did uh, from my laptop, just traveling around the world.
0: Yeah and and again to come back to the idea of like the mindful growth you know it was one trip then it was four trips then i think in 2015 you had like 14 trips something like that i might be getting the timeline wrong and then by 2016 sure. it was up to like 50 and then last year 100 something and then now you're this year 2018 you're at around 200 which is again it it's really when you think about it, it doesn't sound like that's over 4 years or so 5 years maybe which it's actually not that much time. Like it does grow pretty fast. It's just that one year at a time, you're adding a bunch of new things, a bunch of new trips on. And now when we, let's kind of get into like our, our topic conversation a bit more here around this idea of building community and, and and having your customers be your community members. I'll sort of tell you like my first experience with U30X and then I'll kind of like let you take it from there and sort of give your insight into why we did it this way. Um, What I noticed off the bat when I went to the U30X site and I said, okay, Costa Rica looks interesting. Originally, you had to actually apply and be interviewed. And you talk to someone on the phone then who explains here's what the trip is like to make sure you're essentially like a decent human being. Now, the person who's interviewing me at the time was Liz Flores, someone who's one of my good friends now, one of your good friends now. But... How, but like you as the founder, co-founder, did not do that interview. How does Liz come into the picture here? Because this is a key point I want every uh, founder who's listening to this to, to take note of, because you used a community member, right?
1: Yes, that's
0: a good point. Um,
1: so I guess Liz was a one of our community managers, so people would come on our trips. Um, and, and also just to back up, I know it sounds like mindful growth. And uh, as as Raj has alluded to, I'm into mindfulness and <laughs> yoga and meditation like he, he is. And of course, this all started after I began traveling and, and uh, started under 30 experiences and my mind was opened up to new ideas. But it was also really insane growth. Like, it has grown really fast and uh, seems seems quite overwhelming when you look at it. it now it's not a you know Groupon or a Uber or a whatever you guys call them in the startup world the unicorns uh, <laughs> but it has it's but it's logistically a, a
0: shit time to manage <laughs>
1: yes yes so just, so to point that out um, once we started having a few trips we'd have reunions we've had we'd have meetups when we'd have a few travelers that were all in Chicago, Chicago, together. We'd appoint someone to be the community manager because they loved it so much. And yeah, they wanted to do what they did on the trip, uh, their trip to wherever they wanted to bring a little bit back to their community and have good people to hang out with and be able to connect and have good conversations and do outdoor activities. And, um, yeah, yeah, and and meet them. And and in the early days, it was entrepreneurially focused. And so yeah, Liz was our community manager in Chicago. She is someone who joined a trip because her college professor told her about under30ceo.com. She joined a trip on under 30 experiences because it was kind of the The next step, like she had been a blog reader for a very, very long time. And she said, well, yeah, finally, I want to meet these guys and get more involved in the community. And she ended up coming uh, on our trip, loved it, wanted to get more involved, approached us about a job. And so that's how Liz came into into the picture and. Her job was to go into her community and tell people about Under 30 Experiences, um, host meetups, et cetera. And uh, yeah, I'm glad she interviewed you and uh, I'm, glad she, I'm, I'm glad you were accepted. Yeah.
0: yeah, well then we never would have met otherwise. Exactly. Uh, so I, what I hear when you talk about that is this is like a literal example of a customer, someone who bought a trip and experienced a trip with your company came back and said, how can I get more involved? And then you appointed her as Chicago area community manager. And then more and more people were asking you this question, how can I get more involved? And you were saying, well, we have this community manager program. And before you know it, there's these local hubs around the country. And I think now even like there's one in Paris or, or somewhere internationally, I think in France, right? Sure, sure. And right. and, um, and this is a clear example of getting people to like allowing them to be more involved with your brand and with your overall like ethos and mission and why beyond just that purchase. And this is something that especially in the tech world gets so overlooked because you're so hyper focused on customer acquisition, customer retention, monthly recurring revenue that you you disregard a lot of the like little touches you can add to a person's experience when they interact with you. And when you have people who are, when you're able to essentially create ambassadors all around the country, you're allowing your brand to grow more organically. And you talk about these meetups, right? And these local community events. Those are actually things, they make zero money for the company. And in fact, they may actually cost the company a few dollars because you have to like, host the meetup, do- like, pay for meetup.com, uh, maybe like, you know, host the Eventbrite account, whatever that might be. And it's, it's taking a longer term look to it though, right? Because you know that the person who comes to the meetup today Might hear, you know, might be interested in traveling next month or in two years. But you're essentially able to get them involved in this is our belief about the world. This is what we want for people like you. So at the very least, just come have a beer with us. No, and those are our marketing dollars that we spend there. We hardly spend any
1: money on advertising, but we we always say. Let's reinvest in the community. Every time we try to do something new and oh, let's, let's hire this travel blogger and uh, have them come on our trip and write about it for his or her audience, or yeah, let's, uh, we were pumping a couple thousand dollars a month into Google Ads, or all these types of things. They never work as well as investing back into our community because our trips honestly blow people's minds because they change people's lives, because people have have the time of their life, uh, even if their life was not changed, then then they want to stay involved with what we do and they want to tell their friends about it. I mean, it's the most exciting thing that they do all year. It's a once in a lifetime type of thing to go on uh, and visit these places. So, to come on a trip with us and then want to tell your all all your friends it's very natural it's not like buying a toothbrush or a piece a pair of yoga pants right like you see all these ambassadors uh pushing their yoga pants and trying to get people to to sign or to to buy them or whatever but it's it's not it i mean this is a huge big ticket item and it, it's very easy in that regard and it's But it's people focused. It's like, hey, let's get awesome people together. We know you're probably bored at home Uh, after work. Let's try to change your perspective on how you see the world.
0: Yeah, and and it's really, like what you're talking about here is it's it's having a good customer experience. Like that's step one, I think. Because, you know, something I often think about with anything someone's building is how do you make, and I I may have heard this quote from someone else, I don't remember. How do you make something so good, memorable, irresistible, whatever, that the person can't go to sleep without telling someone else about it? And that's really what these trips are like, right? It is you get home and the first and or maybe while you're still on the trip, because you're, you know, you might have a Wi-Fi connection, you can't wait to tell your friend or friends about it. So it's having a really good customer experience out of the gate that gives people, without even having to tell them, hey, refer a friend and get, they're just automatically, they, they can't sleep until they tell someone else about it.
1: I, I appreciate that. And I think that you are an amazing case study for that, because you've been such a great ambassador, uh, formally and informally, mainly informally, yeah. for the brand and still I don't know, four years probably after your first Costa Rica trip, we're still creating content around it and doing media. And, uh, you know, we've become good friends and you've told a ton of people about the under 30 experiences.
0: Yeah. And because it was, it was a transformative experience for me and for everyone listening, I've, I've now gone on three trips, uh, Costa Rica, Belize, and then earlier in January, Tulum. And, you know, when we, I think another key aspect here, and, and I, I say these things because from afar, like literally, because you're in Costa Rica, <laughs> I observe the things that your company does, and I take mental note of them, and I say, how do I incorporate that, or how do I give that advice to someone else? And what I notice, you guys have done so well, and it's it's whether it was intentional or not. We talked about at the start; people had to interview to be part of the program, right? Be part of a trip. Now, obviously, at 200 trips, you, you, you'd have to hire an outsourced customer service team to be able to do all those interviews. Yes. But you were looking for a specific type of person at the start. And I mean that in the sense of, like, we want open-minded people. We want ambitious, driven people to be part of our community. So because you were doing these interviews at the start when it was still only a handful of trips, naturally, the people who, like, we can't go to sleep without telling our friends, most likely our friends are other open-minded, driven, ambitious people. So sort of like organically, the community then grows and you can stop doing the interviews, but the people that are being referred, more or less, are also of that same mindset. They're more of the type of people you want on your trip. So now, without having to do interviews when it's 200 trips a year, you're essentially naturally getting the type of traveler you want and then on top of that you've also out of the gate been very forthright with like in your messaging like no douchebags no divas right if you're gonna cause you know if you're gonna be a headache we don't want you on our trip we want people who are accepting etc so those are like tactically the things I see you guys have done really well and was that a was that an intentional decision to say hey if we want it to grow to this with these kinds of people we've got to start in this method with these interviews? You know, it
1: sounds really good. (laughs) uh, And that is, you definitely are spot on about the strategy on how it played out. But I don't think it, it wasn't that far thought out. It's like, uh, you know, when you go to that amazing eco lodge in in Costa Rica, Rancho Margat, and uh, you look at the place and you're like, this place is amazing. It was so well thought out. And the owner kind of smiles and says, oh, yeah, if you only really. <laughs> uh, it's the same. It's the same kind of thing. But you're absolutely right. We wanted the right type of people because we were scared. We didn't want to go on vacation with someone who we might not have uh, really liked so much or who was going to be a diva, ego or a complainer, as it probably still says somewhere on our website. Yeah. Um, but we just were really we were really lucky to build our tribe, if you will, of of the right types of people who are coming, looking for this trip for the right reasons. And also it's interesting that uh, no matter who people are in their personal uh, in their personal life or their life at home, when they come on one of our trips, uh, psychologically, it's their time where they can reset and it's their time where they can, they're solo travelers, right? Some people come with friends, but mainly you can be, if you come alone, you can be whomever you want on that trip. Nobody knows you. Drop all that. Uh, you know, drop your ego. Leave your ego at the door. And everyone is pretty much cool. Sure, sure once in a while you get someone who's like, ah, oh, this guy's on our trip. But we don't get guys who are coming solely for the purpose, uh, thinking it's spring break to hook up with chicks, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, we don't get a, much of that kind of stuff at all because we create a community where it's. Uh, where it's obvious that this is a safe place to travel and we're all here for the right reasons and we talk about sustainability a little bit on our trips we talk about um, important topics uh, that you begin to understand while you're traveling and it's not just a party trip or a hookup trip or oh my god is this a solo or is this a single strip which Mm -hmm. answers to those are all clear no's but we never have to say that it's just the vibe that we give off i guess
0: yeah and and I, i think it comes back to knowing what you're trying to create in terms of like the feel and and the experience and then making decisions almost inherently that align with that which which is something that Especially in the startup world, it, that stuff can get away from you. When you're working with technology, it can be easy to let the technology drive the decision making instead of the why or the mission drive the decision making.
1: I, I really, I really like what you said, and I just wanted to add when you talk about organic growth.
0: And this, and this is like true that,
1: organic growth here. Yes, <laughs> you you called it mindful growth, and it didn't quite resonate with me. But when we always talk about organic growth and it, it, it has evolved at an insane speed, in my opinion, but we're like driving a really nice F-150 right now, and it's a great truck, and we've built it's well built and it's chugging away down the road, and nothing can stop it, right? But if you're driving a Ferrari, like some of these tech companies, one small slip-up, one small messaging error, when you're going that fast, you're done. You lose sight. You lose your values. All of a sudden, you're, you know, you're hanging out the window like Jay-Z smoking re- weed mm-hmm. and...
0: <laughs> Jay-Z does not smoke coffee. weed, actually. He's very, okay. he's very forthright about that. I, Little I Wayne. Did. Let's go with that. Little Wayne. <laughs> you, you look like Little
1: Wayne and yeah, you're, gonna, you're probably going to screw up. Yeah. Can I swear? Can I call it fuck yeah. up?
0: Yeah. <laughs> cool. Come on. You're the third time on the show. You don't know if you've cursed before. I just before. did. I forgot. <laughs> Um, Yeah, organic growth and not just because you're eating a lot of organic foods on the trip themselves. Um, Another thing, too, is and I I touched on this earlier, but you have been willing to, as the co-founder and CEO, get your hands dirty in the sense like actually literally, but also, uh, again, metaphorically, in the sense that. The first handful of trips, you were the trip leader, and you kind of had to oversee what is the customer experience like on these trips. So that way when I step away as trip leader, I know the experience that still needs to be maintained. Um, You were showing up at the meetups when you could, right, when it was uh, in your local area. You are, you've been hosting the Live Different podcast, for the last three-ish years uh, where you're always able to promote under 30 experiences on the podcast. So these are things that I think it, you talked about how with your travelers, you want them to check their egos at the door. But I think as a CEO, this is you checking your own ego at the door. And I know out of circumstance, you had to be the one leading the trips because you couldn't just pay some random person at the start. But I think when we think about different types of um, founders building their companies now, there is an ego element where you're like, where people are like, oh, I'm the CEO, I'm the founder. That type of work should be, is lo- is beneath me. And I don't get the sense that you've, like, I feel like everything that is, that you've been able to scale now, processes wise, experience wise, et cetera, is because you had a hand in it at the start because you didn't think about, oh, this is beneath me.
1: No, I I really appreciate that observation and uh as hopefully your hopefully your listeners uh, picked up on us we had very humble beginnings and it was two guys on the top of a a glacier in iceland saying <laughs> yeah we should try to get some people together and that trip almost failed that trip almost never run ran uh we pulled that trip off by the skin of our teeth begged and pleaded for people to come on this trip and we know what the we know what that's like. We were broke when we, we started this. I mean, broke to a point. There were a lot of broke points in the uh, <laughs> in, in, in this, right? So seeing that and seeing the business form out of necessity, and yeah, I was the the our first trip leader for the first few trips, but almost the first 100 trips, probably your first 50 at least. So I was staffing every trip, and I had extreme control over how everything was going to be delivered, and uh, you talk about customer experience. And honestly, it just made sure everybody had an amazing, amazing time. Every time we check into a new hotel, still to this day, I train our trip leaders to go around and ask everybody how their beds look. How are they, you guys got enough sheets and towels? You guys all all good in there? Are you connected to the, the the Wi-Fi or are not connected to the Wi-Fi? Um, you know, just making sure. Or or you're sitting at a dinner. Look around. May, this is not about. Hey, I'm going to eat my food first here because I think that I'm entitled to it. No, I I'm always the last one to eat. I'm always making sure that everybody's enjoying themselves. That everybody has what they need. That their dietary restrictions are taken care of. And so it's it's about our travelers at all times and uh, otherwise this never would have gotten off the ground. So what we really try to, to make sure. And still today, I, uh, when we have groups in Costa Rica, almost every week, I try to go and have dinner with them on Thursdays or Saturdays. They have yoga. I try to practice them and my girlfriend teaches them. So, uh, or I try to hop on, on on hikes on the weekends, even though I've done those same hikes hundreds of times at this point, I want to go and talk to the travelers, and and that's an opportunity for me to not only inspect what's going on with our trip leaders and our vendors, but it's also a huge opportunity for me to be able to get to know uh, the travelers. I'm not exactly Richard Branson flying economy on Virgin Airlines here, but it's still an opportunity for me to be able to go and make some new friends and see what our travelers are saying, and I have a blast doing it. I love it.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's funny, as you were saying, that you're like, I'm not going to eat my dinner first. This is literally the title of Simon Sinek's book on leadership, Leaders Eat Last. <laughs> okay, to hear. Um, I see here. I have one other question here before we start to wrap up, and this, is, this might be a challenging question, so if you need a second to think about it, that's cool. Um, everything we've been talking about so far related to Under 30 Experiences Someone listening could say, well, this is so much easier because it's a travel company and there's like a physical experience you're having and like, no doubt, people would want to tell their friends about a cool trip they went on. Can you respond to that? And like specifically speaking to someone who, let's say they're building a technology company, how can these principles be applied to them? And, and, and why is it not fair to just say, oh, it's just travel? It's, that's a good question. Um, okay.
1: First thing that comes to my mind is you have to care about your customers, right? If you want them to come back, then you should really be doing something that you are passionate about. And if if not, then you're probably in the wrong business. If you don't care enough to text your customers and make sure that they're happy with what you're doing, then you know it's not just about, oh, it was an expensive trip and I want to make sure they don't write us a bad review. It's about really making sure that they're, they're getting value out of what you're selling them and that they know you care. If you're trying to build community, that means that they want to be part of something that you're doing. So if you don't care enough to check up on them all the time, and express your passion for what they're doing and your concern for who they are as people, right? It might be technology, but it's got to be about people. Technology is just another way to reach a lot of people, and community is a way to bring people together. So if you're talking about a tech community, this is using technology to bring people together uh, around a common good. And, but if you don't have a common good then uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know it, might not, be, it might, I mean, might not be for you and I don't want everybody listening to this to think that their app out there or their startup idea or whatever they're working on is going to have community because it might not. But if, if you're doing it right I would say it should. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes some sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and you know, another—I meant to say it earlier when you were talking about sort of like the the willing to go the extra step with with interacting with customers too. Uh, Like you mentioned, your trip leader is like, "Hey, do you have your have enough sheets? Hot shower, etc." Something I remember when I took the Belize trip was the group on day one or day two was largely disappointed in the hotel's breakfast offering. And you and Courtney at the time, who was the other trip leader, um, you guys just made a decision to say, hey, guys, we're going to take you somewhere else for breakfast and it's on us. Like, don't worry about having to pay more. That's a decision where the short sighted person could be like, well, that's going to cut into our margins on this trip. But you're thinking of it from a standpoint of, but how do I make this the best experience for them? Exactly. And if you just look at the case studies of the people who
1: were on that trip, I mean, Almost seventy percent of our travelers come back for a second trip. That's insane. And I've come go, back for a third. <laughs> yeah, you've come back for a third, and you've told—I don't know—twenty pl- You've had twenty plus people probably uh, end up coming on our trips through you in some way, shape, or form. And uh, yeah, it's because we, because probably because we splurged on that uh, on that extra breakfast and <laughs> fees. Uh, that's. But that's, you know, that's, that's just one little example of how just try to do the right thing.
0: Yeah. So to, to wind this thing down, bring it home. Can you let our listeners know where they can learn more about you, U 30 X, the podcast, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you like the podcast, you can listen to maybe two or three episodes with Raj on We've done three. I think we've done three. The Live Different Podcast. uh, That's on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you want to go. Under30experiences.com, though, if you want to get involved in our community, you can click community and find any major city in the United States. We probably have something going on, so that's really cool, and I still want to reach uh, i want people to reach out to me after this and if i can help them out in any way i would love to read your email or get your instagram message matt at under 30 experiences dot com or matt wilson tv across the social networks and uh yeah that's that's what i want to do
0: i want to build community with you guys and bear in mind here everybody matt literally just said I would like you to email me. So if there's any hesitation around like, ooh, like maybe he doesn't want to be bothered. He actually just said, please, I want to talk to you about this stuff. I would um, be sad if I don't get an email from one of your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> now, to, to wrap up, as we've wrapped up every episode over the past hundred something, we will give what we believe our answer is, our sort of our our take-home answer to the topic question for today. And I'll go first, then uh, Matt, I'll let you close it out. So the, the question was, how do you turn customers into community members? Now I've got a few nuggets here that I pulled from the conversation. Number one, the first thing is make sure you're providing a good customer experience. If that's not there, then there's nothing that someone wants to be part of beyond just the transaction. Number 2 can you incorporate the people early on who are part of your you know your clientele your experience whatever in a larger way like you said the guy you were smoking a cigar on the top of the mountain or looking at the mountain or the uh, the volcano with he's now like and that was before you were running any trips he's now you're still your Iceland trip your Iceland trip leader so who are the key people early on who can become part of this thing as it grows, because they're going to want to help you build the empire too. And then that goes to the community manager aspect that you've built with U30X. And sort of the third thing here is, and this is actually a challenge I'm gonna pose to all the listeners, because I think it's something that, that your company has done very well, Matt, is ask yourself, how can my customers interact with my company when they are not purchasing something? or directly using the product? How else can they interact with my brand? Matt, top line takeaways for how do you turn customers into community members?
1: I really like what you said at the end there about other ways in which they can interact uh, because it goes back to what I was explaining that you don't have to buy a trip to be part of our community. If you just want to come to a meetup and uh, meet us in Austin, Texas, and go to, uh, we went caving last month in Austin, Texas. It was really cool. It cost everybody $18 to enter the cave and go have lunch, I think. If you want to just come and do that and meet some interesting people, then, then come do that. You don't need to go on a trip uh, to Costa Rica that costs nine hundred and ninety-five dollars or something. So, giving people other ways in which they can interact, right? We have this entire layer that you might not know about in under thirty experiences unless you were part of it. Uh, when it comes to personal development, so we also have yoga trips, we also have fitness trips, we also have several Facebook groups where people are talking about the challenges that they have, uh, whether it comes to travel or whether it comes to their health and wellness, where they have a, com- again, they have a community of people around them who are saying, hey, guys, I just quit my job. I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of, of starting van- hashtag van life, right? <laughs> All these people that are moving into their vans. And we have people like that in our community who are just traveling around Create you know creating social media content taking some months off and they're going on tours and meeting under other under thirty experienced members um, or they're organizing their own trips like like you guys did to go out to Lake Tahoe or uh, they are finding trout they're they're finding uh, workout partners or there's a Fitbit group there's a book club none of this has anything to do with Really, with traveling per se, with, hey, I'm trying to sell you a trip to Spain. Here's what you can consume, and then that's it. No, we're, we're all young travelers. We're all at a certain stage in our life, and we need other people to interact with on that same level. And that's very difficult to do in the 21st century in our modern day and age in our home cities. So let's create other ways in which people can interact with the brand. Um, and that's what we've been able to, to do. So, so yeah, I, I really think that that is, is key, that last one that, that you mentioned. And uh, then people don't feel like you're just trying to sell them something. They, we're always talking about how can people be part of what we're doing rather than buy into what we're doing because mm-hmm. nobody wants
0: to be sold. Yeah. And then my God, as you were saying, those examples, I can't believe we didn't even touch on the fact that everyone who goes on a trip becomes part of this alumni Facebook group afterwards. So you're still always interacting with one another, uh, with other travelers from different trips with your own trip. There's also those city based uh, Facebook groups as well. And then you're, you're letting people create within themselves, almost like independent of, of what things that you have to manage, right? Like there's like a, People started a U30X book club. Uh, you, you know, two, three years ago, myself and 10 or 11 other people decided to just within the U30X Facebook group organize a Lake Tahoe Labor Day weekend getaway. And it was almost like we created like our, our own U30X trip. But you didn't like step in and be like, hey, we have to brand this and we have to like, whoa, guys, you can't do this independent of us. You just let it happen naturally because it's it's important at the end of the day that you provide a platform for people to have good experiences, not provide a platform of transactions and purchases. Absolutely, absolutely. Matt Wilson, so I'm, I've been trying to make these episodes like 40-ish minutes and I knew this, there was no chance when <laughs> that, that we would do that because there was just so much to talk about. But thank you for coming back for a third time and I, what I'm sure is not the last time to the podcast
1: sir it's always a pleasure uh, i hope I, I get to interact with some
0: of your community and uh thank you as always it was fun that wrapped up our conversation did you the listener enjoy this episode if so the absolute best compliment you can give is a rating and review on itunes Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, therefore more people can discover their inner awesome. And if you want to extend that compliment further, while you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or the various other networks in which you can find this show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as access to the over 100-episode archive, visit the podcast official site, www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And remember, for tips, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your company's hype with a message that sings, visit startuphypeman.com. Season 10's theme song is from Sir the Baptist. The song is called Dance with the Devil. It is off his album Saint or Sinner, which you can grab on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and anywhere else digital music is distributed. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining us. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care... And be awesome today. Yeah. Yeah. This is a dance with the, dance with the devil go. Tell me what you gonna do. Yeah. This is a, a dance, dance with the, with the devil go. And if you can't get a loss, then it's it's a dance with the devil.